You're listening to sermon audio from Grace Mosaic, a congregation of the Grace DC Network in Northeast DC. For more information about our church, visit us online at gracemosaic.org. So as you know, Advent is the most uh, waiting-focused time in the Christian calendar. And uh, that means that there's potential to redeem something. Something that um, efficiency-minded, achievement-driven people just dread and hate, and that is waiting, right? We've got a time to redeem waiting. For us, waiting is a waste of time. Uh, Waiting seems like an infringement on our personal freedom, right, to do the things that we want to do. It's inefficient, and it just makes us mad waiting. I read a quote this week. I thought it was helpful. Expecting things to happen quickly makes us impatient. And when things take longer, we get angry. And getting angry makes things seem like they take forever. We're all just getting faster and filled with rage. Well, let's hope there's more than that. There are exceptions. The exception is when you know you're waiting for something that's worth it. And that's where Advent situates us, right? Because we, as a people, see that we are waiting on the worthiest thing you could possibly, and that is our maker and our king, our great God and savior. And this waiting, soon to be, we're one day closer than we were yesterday, praise God, the end of division and violence and sorrow and sadness these things that weary us and weight us down. And yet the waiting isn't just a then and there experience. It's more like waiting to get into a great restaurant. And while you're in line, they're bringing out appetizers. They're bringing taste. Because that's, that's what we're getting. That's what we're doing. And we've had a taste of it these last few weeks. Pastor Russ came and gave us a taste of the comfort of God. Pastor Duke talked about the mighty arms and the compassionate arms. Pastor Yancey talked about a throne that rules over all our fears. I need to hear that. And this week, we'll conclude with the promise of strength for weary people. Strength for weary people. And I want to make it simple. Who receives the strength and how it comes to us? Who receives it, how it comes to us? Who receives it? The weary receive it. It's not as easy for us to admit as it should be. Weariness comes in lots of expressions and causes, right? I was doing a bit of reading about weariness. And of course, you know, modern scientific people, we break everything into lots of categories. We just don't say anymore, I'm weary. There's lots of expressions, right? There's physical weariness, right? Our bodies change. We have trouble sleeping at night. Chronic pain, acute pain. I read a little thing on the Mayo, uh, uh, Mayo, what is that thing? Thank you, thank you. Yeah, medical, deals with medical stuff, you've heard of it. But uh, the, pr- the prime uh, reason for weariness is lack of exercise and depression. Prime reasons. I'm surprised by that. Mental weariness, right? Long days at work. Cramming for a test, 
things that just vex us and we can't fix. Emotional weariness, bearing the burdens of people we love, stress and anxiety, concerns. We think about especially when it comes around the holidays. Social weariness. For some of us, it's too little time with people. Isolation. For others of us, it's too much time with people. We're weary, right? And then there's soul weariness, faith weariness, long trials. Maybe it's the weariness of feeling guilty because of sin. Maybe it's the weariness of believing your acceptance with God is based on your performance to God. Lots of expressions for weariness that we have. And for those of us that are urbanites, it's even heightened, right? The pace of modern life, sensory overload. We move so fast. I remember coming back from my first sabbatical, and, and for the first month and a half, I was like, I can't keep up. Can't keep up without fast. But then I learned to keep up, and I don't know if that was a good thing. I just got back into it. But what I love about our scripture and our faith is the way that it both acknowledges and names weariness. If you have trouble admitting that you're weary, just open the Bible. The psalmist, I am weary with moaning every night, every night. The prophets, our pursuers are at our necks, we are weary with no rest. The Apostle Paul, feeling utterly burdened beyond strength. And even the Lord Jesus, so weary from all the ministry he's doing, falls asleep during a storm in a boat. So weary. And in our text, the translation of weary includes both outward pressures and just lack of inner resources. Just feeling like I don't have it in me. And as the Bible gives voice to weariness, we can give voice, sort of like Bilbo does when he says, I feel thin, sort of stretched, like butter scraped over too much bread. And it's not only permission to say I'm weary, it also deals with the shame that we feel because of weariness. I love this part of the text where it says, even youths faint and be weary, young men shall faint and be exhausted, you know. When I go to my little exercise class, and I'm, I'm huffing and puffing, and I looked at me, and I see there's a couple 20-somethings, so they're actually sweating. I'm like, all right, good. Even youths, youths get tired and exhausted. But this even means something more. You know, this idea of youth is in a, inferred in it is actually sort of the elite, the, the chosen military elite. And so it's, it's sort of saying even Navy SEALs and Army Rangers, even the most dedicated and the most courageous, get weary. Don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed you feel weary. But where I find the most grace in the way that God acknowledges weary, weary, weary folk is that he acknowledges that even for God gripers and complainers, Because that's where Israel is at this point. They got into exile by their own fix. They're wearied by it. And then they start to get like, I'm not too happy with you, God. Right? You could say that they're wangry. You know, you you got hangry, but they're weary and angry. They're wangry (laughs) at God. They say, my way is hidden from you, which means 
Not just you can't see me, you won't look at me. You're like purposely not looking at me. One of the ways that we commonly affirm people is we say, I see you. The Lord is saying, you're dead to me. That's what they think. And then my rights are disregarded by my God. You just keep dismissing my case. You're not interested in my case. It reminds us of when the disciples were in that boat with the Lord Jesus. And you can be so close to God. You can be, he could be that close and you still might say, don't you care, don't you see? That's what they say. Wake up, don't you care? And so God, hearing angry people like that, what does he do? He calls them by name. He says, Jacob. Right? Jacob's one of his boys, right? You know, he, he had to wrestle him down to get him where he needed to be. But Jacob, and he says to people that are like that, feeling like you're far away, he's going, I haven't forgotten your name, my weary, weary child. I know your name. Which means the reason I can even recount all these things you're saying is because I am listening. Every sigh collects our tears in a bottle, counts our tossings, right? The weariness. One of the lessons, many lessons I've learned from my wife, but, you know, I would have a tendency wanting to be, you know, a good godly father, that when my two-year-old was totally exhausted and throwing a tantrum to go, this is a good time for a lesson. (laughs) This is a good time for discipline, you know, I'm going to, you know, and she would say, Glenn, She's exhausted. She's tired. You know, the Lord comes to people like that, doesn't he? He could have wiped them out, but instead he comes to them, consoles them. So how does that strength make its way to us? Well, the first part of the good news is this. He gives, right? It says he gives. He gives power. He increases strength. He renews Strength. God's strength to us doesn't come as a thank you gift to us. You know what I mean? Like thank you gifts, uh, you give them because you think, well, I I need to give them. And even birthday gifts and Christmas gifts sort of get like that. But you know what the best kind of gift is? It's the just because gift. It's the gift where, uh, you know, someone gives you a gift and you're like, well, what's the reason? They go, just because I, I wanted to. That's what God's giving is like, a shift, a big shift, really, in our spiritual growth and our spiritual confidence is when we begin to see everything that God gives us is because he wants to. Because of his initiative, not ours. Not trying to eke a thank you gift out of him. And even helps us learn how to open gifts. You know, when kids are little, I love this, you got you to help them open the gift, right? They're like, what are you doing this? They're, you know, pull it at it. He helps us open the gift. How does he do it? couple things. First of all, he reminds us of what we already know. Um, finding strength in our weariness, I'm so glad for this, doesn't require that we acquire new knowledge, that we find 10 steps or we read every book that's going to help divine what's going on or find some sort of mystery. And that's good news. Why? Because weary people are weary, right? You're just weary. You don't got what you need to do what you need to do. 
And here we see the Lord says, do you not know? Have you not seen? Which means to say, you know what you need to know. Let me help remind you of it. It's sort of when Moses said to Israel, you don't have to ascend to heaven or cross the sea. The word is near. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. It's there. And that means for weary believers, you are never without the most necessary thing you need to know to be strong. And what is it? What is it that God needs us to know? He needs us to know who he is. That's just who he is. You know, there might be all these other things, like many times we get fixated on, like, I got to figure out what you're doing, God. Your will. I got to figure out your will. Or I got to figure out what I'm not doing, God, to get unweary. Or I got to figure out a new way to live. Or I got to figure out how to change this thing in my life. And he's like, look at me. I want you to look at me. The entire reason for the Father, Son, and Spirit's mission, the reason that the Father and Son send the Spirit is so the Spirit can have us know Jesus. And the reason Jesus comes is so we might know the Father. It's all about knowing God. In John 14, um, the disciples are starting to get a sense he's going to leave. He's going to leave us. They're troubled. They're heavy-hearted. He says, you know, I, I don't want you, uh, I'm going to prepare a place for you, so don't be troubled. But I want you to listen to the way this reasoning works, because it's right on the point of this idea of knowing. They go, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. Then Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. And he says, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time? What is he saying? You're troubled and you're weary, and I'm showing myself to you, and I'm showing the Father to you. The entire mission of God is to show himself to you, and that is the key to your strength. And that's exactly what we have in the passage. What does the Lord do? Here's what you have forgotten. You don't, do you not know? Have you forgotten? I am the everlasting God. I won't ever change toward you. We have this idea that God is one person when I'm doing well spiritually and is another person when I'm not doing well spiritually. I'll never change. I'm the creator. That means I don't abandon my purposes. I don't have to postpone anything. I'm right here. I'm right present with you. Now, I, I'll tell you that, and I feel it more in recent years. Uh, you know, it's that uh, butter over the bread. I have more days than I used to. And maybe it's just, you know, the trials that your family endures over years or just the burden of ministry or your just body's getting older. But there's days where I'm like, Lord, I don't know if I can, like, when I think in a couple months or a year, a couple years, I don't know. I, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can do this. And I feel like he stops me and he goes, well, how about me? Do you think I can do this? And I'm like, well, of course, Lord. You know, you're all these, all these things you said. And he said, well, how about, let me go one more. How about me in you? How about you, you, you 
I will be the one in you, and we'll do this day by day together. And it changes the way we carry things. Have you ever had someone have to tell you how to carry something? Right? You know, you're moving furniture. Don't carry it that way. Right? I was always amazed when I, the, the way, different places I've been in the world, in Africa, the way that women would carry things. I mean, it's amazing. You know, like, dude, I couldn't even carry this water. She's carrying it on her head. She looks so graceful. She's just moving along, right? We need instruction on how to carry things. Jesus invites us to carry things differently. You know, I, uh, I, I have a chance to gig every now and then. And uh, praise God for that. And, uh, and the guy that gets me into these gigs is Cecil. You all know Cecil, right? And Cecil has been mocking me for a long time because I carry my amp and my big bag and my guitar. Well, I, I got this, you know, little cart, like a pool thing. And he'd be like, you know, man, you got you to gotta get a, like a cart with four wheels here. You know, because my stuff falls over in the middle of crosswalks, you know. And it's just embarrassing to me. He says the guys, some of the guys in the band like have emailed me saying, is he going to get a real cart? And so this, I don't know how to carry things. And, this, and what happens, he shows up and I'm bringing my cart out for the last gig. And he goes, you leave that inside. And I was like, okay. And he got me a new cart. You know, what does the Lord do? Jesus invites us, right? We all love, come to me who are heavy laden. I'm gonna, there's going to be a different way you're going to carry things. And I would say the strength of knowing, the knowledge rather, of knowing the strength that's coming to us, what is even more empowering is the way he brings it to us. And he brings us to it through his weariness and weakness. Right? God the Son becomes baby weak. He becomes desert weak. He becomes crossbeam weak. He becomes gasping weak. He becomes servant weary. He becomes sorrow weary. He becomes evil weary. He becomes wrath weary. He brings it way down, low to us. Bonhoeffer has this quote that's just always stuck with me. He, he says that it's only when your brother is a burden to you that they really become a brother, and not just merely an object. But then he goes on to say, the burden of men was so heavy for God himself that he had to endure the cross. God verily bore the burden of men in the body of Jesus Christ, but he bore them as a mother carries her child, as a shepherd enfolds the lost lamb that he's found. God took men upon himself, and they weighted him to the ground. They weighted him to the ground. And that's how he maintains his fellowship with them. The way he meets us in our weariness how can we not believe? So how does it be? Let me, let me move us to two other things briefly. And that is, what does the strength feel like? You know, what does it feel like? Sometimes, you know, you look at, I look at Irwin. Just like, man, what does it feel like to be that strong? <laughs> See him moving those kettlebells around and all those things. 
maybe in heaven I'll know what it feels like to be that strong. And so how does he describe the strength? Well, the, the Hebrew word for power is bone deep. It's bone deep strength. Now you remember when David is unloading his confession, he says, when I was silent, my bones were wasting. But then as he experiences the forgiveness of God, he is up shouting and singing. Don't underestimate that the strength of the Lord can literally strengthen you. I mean, I have seen the grace of God so change people, their physical appearance has changed. I mean, you know, we're, we're all together, right? Spiritual, emotional, mental. So it's bone-deep strength. It's also soaring strength. Now, there's some debate about whether this eagle is like a golden eagle or a griffin vulture. A vulture thing is not an easy thing to get down with, right? But either way, it doesn't matter. Because this is the point. Eagles, they don't flap. They soar. Right? Man! Lord inviting us out of our flapping Christianity, right? This is us day to day, the flapping, flapping. Some of us are like hummingbirds, you know, we're just flapping. And what does he say? No, I'm inviting you a different thing. Well, eagles, what are they? They, they, they? they soar up on the columns of air, right? That's how it happens. And the spirit, right, this wonderful good news of the gospel you start to feel it lift you. Are you feeling the gospel lifting you? Lifting you up. Not like you're trying to pull it, but you're like, man, I, I feel light on my feet. The grace of God makes me feel light on my feet. So it gives us soaring strength. It gives us what I'll call Forrest Gump strength. Now, if you've seen that movie, you remember he runs across America. Right? This is run and not grow weary. You can run and run and run. And then renewable strength. The science world has gone crazy this last two weeks, right? Because nuclear fusion, right? Big deal. Now, they keep saying, I know you're not going to see how great it's going to be now. But basically, harnessing the power of the stars. And why it's so great, it provides near limitless, limitless renewing, renewing. Well, I want to talk about spiritual fusion. Right? I want to talk about the promise of God for the sort of power we have. See, Paul says in the book of Ephesians, I pray you would just see this. I just pray you could see it. I pray you would see what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. You, you and I are not power poor. Um, the very power that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. For those that are connected to God through Jesus, we don't have to go out and find this new power. But lastly, lastly, how does it come? Well, it comes for those who wait. But I want to say it's not just that. Because if you go to some translations here, some of them say those that hope in the Lord, those that wait in the Lord. And there's a point here. Christians just don't wait. You just don't wait. Waiting doesn't get you anywhere. 
Waiting's just waiting. Christians hope. Christians hope is their waiting, right? This is the difference between the way we understand things typically, where I'm just kind of beating time. And Advent is teaching you and I that we're not just waiting, we're hoping. That's, it's schooling us, right? It's forming us. And it, it reminded me of a quote, or that Russ this week on our pastor's call uh, referenced uh, Cornell West's uh, Prisoner of Hope. He said, I'm a prisoner of hope, and I, I was interested in that, so I looked up the larger quote. This is what he says. Hope and optimism are different. Optimism tends to be based on the notion that there's enough evidence out there to believe things are going to be better. Whereas hope looks at the evidence and says, it doesn't look good at all. Going to go beyond the evidence to create new possibilities based on visions against the odds. No guarantee whatsoever. That's hope. I'm a prisoner of hope, though. Going to die a prisoner of hope. What else can be said? That's, That's our call. That's what we have. So praise God. Let me pray. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Grace Mosaic. For more information about our church, visit us online at gracemosaic.org.